Hi, I'm Val Hart in San Antonio, Texas, founder of Val Hart and Friends at ValHart.com. Welcome to The Real Dr. Doolittle Show, the show for animals and the people who love them. I've been called a real-life Dr. Doolittle many times in my career as an expert animal communicator, behaviorist, pet psychic, and master healer. My mission and passion is to improve the lives of animals the world over by helping humans learn how to speak their language, how to understand their viewpoints, and heal. After all, our love of animals helps us be better humans, and the more balanced and healthy we are, the more balanced and healthy they can be, too. Be sure and look for my CDs on iTunes, and to find out more about my work and to receive your free Quick Start Animal Talk course, just go to my website at valhart.com. While you're there for a limited time, you can also apply for a complimentary Happy Animal Assessment Session. And if you want to learn how to be your own Dr. Doolittle, check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system available now on my website at valhart.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Thanks everybody for joining us. Holidays, vacations, and any change in our routine are usually really stress times for most of us, and that includes seriously stressing out our animals. But, you know, they don't have to be if you know what to do to minimize the stress. And, of course, taking the steps to de-stress your animal helps you to de-stress, too, uh, because it helps you plan in ways that are more manageable and creates more certainty, helping you be less emotionally imbalanced. Wouldn't you love to have a more direct way to discuss the holiday with your animal? And, you know, have you thought about it? What if you could simply just tell them what was going to happen and when and why? What If you could just ask them, what do they want? You know, do they want to go with you? Would they prefer to stay home with a pet sitter? Or would they really rather go have a play day vacation with their own own friends and other animals? Um, and so, you know, you could also know if there was anything wrong, if they liked their pet sitter, I once had a client, it's so funny, I once had a client ask me to ask their animal if their pet sitter was stealing or if they had taken something from their house while they were gone. I mean, <laughs> I mean, who would better know, right, the, the animals that are there watching? Uh, I, and, you know, I think you'd want to know if they were in pain or how they felt so you'd be sure that they were as healthy as possible um, or be, were being cared for appropriately if they if they were having trouble. You know, I, I know that you may worry that your animal wouldn't be happy or might be depressed or anxious or nervous or scared with all the changes in routine. And, well, that's what we're here to talk about, so you're in the right place. I know one of my fears is that they'll get sick when I'm gone or on vacation or on a trip or something, and no one would know or notice, or even worse, they might get sick or have an accident or trauma on the road if I took them with me. In fact, one of my clients... She was traveling uh, to Montana with her show dogs, and one of the dogs got bitten by a rattlesnake at a roadside stop in West Texas. It was really very scary. Uh, She called in a panic, and I did a lot of healing support work along with animal communication so that we knew exactly what had happened, where she had gotten bitten, how many times, you know, and in the meantime, uh, I was supporting her while her human was finding a vet, and I'm happy to say that the dog survived, and it, it took a great deal of, you know, um, effort uh, and work uh, to to help that situation. So, anyway, I know that's partly, um, I know, one of my concerns. We have Brenda um, on uh, tonight. She's my special guest, and I got to meet her just uh, in September uh, when I went to Vancouver. Uh, no, actually, I think we met, well, we did meet there, but we also met at the podcasting boot camp um, in Vancouver, and I just loved talking to her, and I got to meet her wonderful Rottweiler named Eunomia, and in which uh, we, we actually did a video of my working with Eunomia at that workshop, which is really cool, and it's on my website, and it's on YouTube now, too, so don't want to check that out. But Brenda is really, really cool. I love her. Um, I got to meet her and her husband, Robert, and they are so neat. They have traveled over 20,000 miles throughout North America with up to three dogs, and I'm talking big dogs like Rottweilers, (laughs) and four cats at a time. They've flown on major airlines. They've taken public transit. They've done vehicle ferries. They've stayed in hotels and condos. They've visited friends and family, and they've even taken their pets into workplaces and in seminars and in stores throughout major cities and remote (laughs) 
in remote wilderness locations in the summer and in the winter, and they live in Canada, by the way, so, you know, that's, that's a deal. Um, and they have even tinted with cats, which I am just in awe about. I, <laughs> I have to learn about this. The stories they tell of their adventures with animal communications are so humorous and remarkable in that we find out just how adjustable both cats and dogs can be when things are done in a way that they can relate to and understand. You know, and after all the traveling that they've done, Brenda and Robert's pets love to travel, and they've clearly shown that they prefer to come along rather than be left behind. So, Brenda, did you make it back? Yes. Hi, I'm here. Welcome. Welcome. I'm so glad you joined me today. So, thank you. Me for too. I'm really excited about animal communication. Oh, well, good. And about traveling with our pets. Yeah. Oh, I think this is such an important subject, you know. Um, everybody who has animals faces, you know, well, communicating with them on a daily basis, but uh, traveling with them, you know, none of us home 24-7, so <laughs> we uh, we need to know yeah. what to do, you know. We need to know how to do it safely and securely and with proper preparation and planning and all that stuff. So uh, so welcome. Yeah. I'm excited. This will be fun. So Yeah. Yeah, so Val, can you tell, can you say how did you get started with animal communication? It's interesting. This is the topic um, that actually got me started with animal communication because what was happening is that my husband and I would go on trips. Uh, we'd take, you know, a holiday or vacation or something, and we had uh, two cats at the time. And every time we'd go on the trip and when we get home, the cats would be just insane. They would be upset, angry, frustrated. They would have, you know, torn into things. Um, a really, really difficult situation, and it happened every time like clockwork. And my older cat, Peach, um, <laughs> she, she would actually hold a grudge against us for weeks and, you know, let us know how un, un, how angry she still was with us. Uh, she didn't forgive easily, that's for sure. Um, but anyway, so what I did is I learned that I could actually talk to them, and so I would sit with them and tell them the story about where we were going, and when we were coming back and who we were going to see or what we were going to do and who was going to take care of them and what to do if something went wrong and that we, you know, had to keep them inside because no one was here to let them in and out. And, and um, uh, that, you know, that whole little story, I just told them the whole thing. That trip, it was a three-day uh, holiday, a weekend, you know, an extended weekend trip. When we got home, there was such a difference with the cats. It was like in day the cats were were quiet, they were peaceful, they were happy to see us, um, they weren't desperate to get outside and then, you know, disappeared for two days. Um, they were fine. They, they were, everything was really, really cool. So the importance of talking to our animals is so, so important, and it makes such a huge difference uh, for them. That's what I realized in that is that they were panicked and terrified and thought they were going to be stuck in the house. They thought something had happened to us, that we were never coming back. Um, and that they were going to die inside this house, you know, and then there's strangers coming in, and they didn't know what to do about that, and it was just really, you know, from their viewpoint, it was really, really um, upsetting. So we have to remember that. What a great story. Uh, thanks. Yeah, it just really got me started, and, oh, my God, it makes such a difference. Um, remember that your animals actually mirror us. So if we're stressed and frustrated, anxious, nervous, or worried in any way, then that's the message that they get, and that's what they're going to act out for you. So instability is not your animal's friend. Your job is to make their environment as stable and calming as possible and to prepare them properly in advance and during the events. So that doesn't mean that they can't experience change in routine or be completely protected from anything new or different, as as you know, Brenda, because <laughs> I'm sure your animals have experienced all kinds of changes. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Um, but what it does mean is that they need to know what to expect. <clears throat> they need to know when things will happen and who's involved. What do we need from them and how do we want them to behave? They need to know how long they'll be gone. Um they need to know what will happen to them if you're not taking them with you. Um, they need to know that you're coming back and when. Um, and um, and if they need a way to tell us if they need anything or if they have questions or concerns. You know, so you can see how important it is to helping your animals de-stress through the holidays, going on vacations, uh, moving. That's a that's a big time um, event. Um, or when you go on trips together. <clears throat> and by the way, 
if animal communication is something you want to learn to master and are willing to put the time and energy and effort into, then I promise you, you can help you do that. Brenda and I both have special offers for everybody at the end of the class that we hope you'll stick around for, but we'll tell you a lot more about that later. So <clears throat> about ready to get started? You want to get some paper and pen? I hope everybody's got their hand out because uh, we're going to go quickly and we've got a lot to tell you guys. So Val, why is it that animal communication is important? And could you share some easy ways that we can get started? I'm so glad you asked that because, you know, as I, as I believe, animal communication is critically important. Learning how to communicate with animals is important because people misunderstand their animals when they don't know how to speak their language or consider their viewpoints, which gets them into interesting and really sometimes awful predicaments. And also because your animals our own imbalances, which makes them our best teachers and our healers. Learning how to work with them and connect at a deeper level helps us be better people, more balanced, kind, and considerate. It helps us be healthier and clearer about who we really are and what we need and want, and it can completely transform the quality of our lives. Animal communication gives us a much better way to explain what's going to happen to our animals let them know what's expected of them, help them understand and know what to do. And animal communication is really easy to learn. Everybody, anybody who loves animals can learn how to communicate with them. I taught hundreds of people how to talk with their animals, and I want, you to, I want to teach you what I know too. So I've developed the Valhart method of learning animal communication. I give three simple steps on how to communicate in my introducing animal communication home study course, but we don't have time to go into all that here today. I just want you all to know that that's there. And what I'd like to do for just a moment for everybody, if you will, let's do a little tune-in here and a bit of a meditation. So if you all would, have a nice big breath, and I'm going to slow down a little bit. I feel like I'm racing like a racehorse. So have a nice big breath and relax. Breathe. Let your body be heavy. Notice any tension in your body. Notice any busy mind activity. Just let that be. You don't have to shut or fill the mind. Just notice it. Breathe into it. Relax your jaw. And reconnect with your core, your center, your heart. Feel the love that you have for your animals right now how grateful you are that they're in your life. And with soft, loving focus toward your animal, take a moment to imagine that you're them and that no one gave you the memo about what was going to happen. How do you think you would feel? Yeah. How do you know that your animal is stressing out, and how can we help them de-stress and decompress? That's such a critical question. De-stressing your animal, isn't it wonderful when our animals are de-stressed, we're de-stressed? <laughs> D as in D, not stressed, um, because it helps us plan in ways that are more manageable. It creates more certainty. It helps us be less emotionally imbalanced, more calm, and more peaceful. Um, I remember a, a little story about a dog. I worked with a miniature schnauzer by the name of Heidi. And what happened for her is that any time there was any change in her routine, um, she would get really out of sorts. She was known to bite. Uh, you know, she was not safe with people, strangers, or children. Um, and we worked with her, and we found out that she would, was simply stressed. And she didn't have a way to get away. She didn't have a safe place. Um, her people didn't understand what was happening for her when these changes would happen, and then she would act out, you know, in ways that were dangerous and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, very, uh, very bad. So when we talked to her, we found out that, and uh, what we did is we just created uh, a way for her to keep herself safe um, anytime she felt that she was getting out of uh, a little too stressed. Um, and it was as simple as putting a kennel in another room her kennel, and if she got stressed, she had permission to leave the party and simply go in there and be in her kennel 
and our promise to her is that no one would be allowed to bother her. So it gave her a timeout. Uh, she gave herself her own timeout. That was really cool. And the biting behavior and the bad behavior started shifting dramatically from that little easy thing that we did. It was very, very cool. There are a lot of stress clues. Here are three of the top ones. The first stress clue is excessive panting or heavy breathing. It's usually accompanied by restlessness or hyperactivity, and that can look like running around uncontrollably, acting out unpredictably, tearing things up, or inappropriate elimination problems. So what can you do if you notice these things? First thing is to notice them. Don't ignore them. Notice. Um, they aren't happy. So a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that if their animal's hyper, that they're happy, and they are not. They are stressed, and they need your help. So become more consciously aware and then calmly and confidently create a timeout where they can calm down and leave them alone. Don't try to coddle them. Don't comfort them. Or you, they'll think you're actually rewarding them for being hyper and stressed, which makes them continue the behavior. So, um, when, uh, And then you can also give them something positive to do, like ask them to focus on you and do something you ask of them um, and give them a really good way to discharge that energy. So. You also want to remember to reward them only when they become quieter and calmer. The second stress clue is if you notice them holding their breath, being rigid or tense with a worried expression on their face, or if they go into a hiding mode, and if that's the case and they're, they're requesting a safe comfort zone, could be their kennel, you could simply shut them up in a room where they could calm down on their own. Um, what's happened is they simply become hyperstimulated in a different way and they need a chance for their sympathetic nervous system to reboot. Some animals are easily overstimulated, so we also have to notice where their tolerance levels are and try not to exceed that. The third stress clue I'll give you that they're acting out with bad behavior. That's usually by the time they get to that, that point, which is when we have to notice them, They've already blown through stress clue number one and number two, and now they are so at the top before you've noticed or paid any attention or taken appropriate action. So what you can do about it at that point is simply remove them from the area and go back to their safe, quiet zone and wait for them to calm down. When they can listen to you, talk to them about their behavior and imagine what they did. Remember and image what they did that was bad and, and feel how upset it, that made you. By the way, feeling your emotions is critical because they can feel your emotion too. They also see what you hold in your mind's eye. So if you're telling them a story about what they did that was so bad that made you so upset or angry or fearful or something, um, then you can let them know why that's so important to you with your, your emotions. Then what you can do is image the consequence of their bad behavior and imagine it in the worst-case scenario. So what are you truly afraid of that, that would have happened or, you know, uh, that maybe did happen? At the end of that, tell them the story about what you want them to do, how it would make them, you feel if they did that, um, and how happy it would be, how good things would be, and the rewards that they would get. So you always want to leave them with a positive suggestion for what you really want that, that, that to have happen, um, and by the way, this is pretty involved, I know. So just to know, I teach students how to do this in the Introducing Animal Communication course, and I go into a lot more depth with the technique and the steps in the Beginning Animal Communication Home Study course. So that should get you started. That sounds like such good insight into understanding our animals. Keish, how can we ask our animals for feedback so that we can avoid more serious behavior issues and discuss problems with them? Yeah, that's a great question, too. To answer this completely, I would need to teach you probably the entire beginning animal communication study course <laughs> um, because this is a bit more involved. But I'm going to get you started with something that you can start practicing with and using uh, today. First, you have to get really clear about your plan for your animal during the holiday, or the vacation or the trip or whatever it is. You want to get really clear about how you want them to feel you want how you want them to behave, how do you want them to interact, and also get clear about what concerns you might have, you or them. You need to be clear in your own body mind what you're doing and why and what you want out of the experience personally. 
Next, consider your plan for your animal during the season. How do you want them to feel? How do you want them to behave? How do you want them to interact? And what concerns might you have if you were them? Once you're clear, your animal can be clear too and will be in less reaction to your emotional and mental confusion and any mixed signals that you might be giving them. So the last thing is to tell them using imagery and emotions what's going to happen. And pay attention. Observe their body language and their energy. What do you notice? When you tell this story, how do they respond? How they respond will tell you if they're stressed or concerned. So be open to their feedback. If you sense a concern from them, you need to further investigate which part of the story is making them tense or worry. And if you sense a peaceful acceptance of the story, then you're good to go. And by the way, you may need a professional to help sort this part out so everyone understands each other and you can work through whatever behavior challenges or emotional upsets come up. Um, but this will get you started for now. I know a lot of my clients, um, before any kind of trip, they always touch base with me and we be certain that the animals know what to expect. We address any of their concerns um, and it helps with their health. Um, they maintain themselves better. Um, you know, they eat, uh, they don't just, you know, go into this depression or this funk. Uh, in fact, I have a quick story to tell you. I, years ago, I worked with a little poodle named Gino, and Gino was blind and deaf. He was very old. He was like 17 years old, um, and his human uh, was going to go on a road trip. Uh, she had a, she was a symphony uh, violinist, and uh, she had to go on, you know, this, uh, whatever. She was traveling. And um, so we asked Gino, and we told him that he was going to go to the kennel, um, to the same place he had been boarded last time. Um, and immediately when I told him that concept and thought, he started screaming, literally screaming unconsolably. And, we, we, I mean, we were just like, oh, my God, you know, what? what is wrong with you? What's wrong, Gino? And he told us that the last time he went to that kennel, that they almost killed him. They hurt him. They poked him. They, um, uh, he felt neglected and scared, and he was certain that if he went back to that kennel, that he would die. And, I mean, that's how intense his emotions were about it. And so as soon as we heard that, we knew that what we had to do was find a different solution for Gino because, you know, he was old and frail, and, you know, he thinks he's going to die if he goes there. You know that's not good. So so we did. We came up with another plan, and as soon as we promised not to take him to that kennel, um, he stopped screaming. He calmed down. He let us console him, and we he, he participated in the conversation about where did he want to go, you know, what did he want to have happen, and it worked out really, really well, and he did a, he did really well while she was gone. So it's really, really important just never know what's going to happen from, or what they're thinking. Yeah, well, the, the traveling and animal communication themes just keep coming up, hey, don't they? They do. They do. do you have any? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Do you have any suggestions for creating and keeping a more stable environment so that our animals can be calmer, more peaceful, happier, and healthier during the holiday? Thank you for asking that. As a matter of fact, I do. I have five five suggestions and the first one is to keep their routine stable in as many ways as you can so their feeding routine at the same times of the day their same foods keep to their same sleep schedule if they're being boarded be sure that they have their favorite toys or treats um, and be sure that they have things of their own with yours and their scents on them remember that scent is critically important to our animal the second uh, tip for your suggestion is to discharge their energy. They have to have exercise. So if they're getting fussy or irritable, depressed, they start acting out. If they need, they probably need play therapy if they're a cat, or they need a really great walk or a run um, for the dogs. Maybe a, a you know play in a dog park or something like that. Remember the basics: exercise, discipline, which means rules, limitations, and boundaries, which includes. Um, and, and means to continue their training all the time that you know their work, their, that you're on your trip or they're in the kennel, and to reward them for good behavior, which every it, all that goes to keeping their world stable, 
and then give them affection, and it needs to be in that order to help them um, uh, help them make sense of what's going on in their world. The third suggestion is no look, no touch, no eye contact um, until they calm down and are ready to connect calmly with others on their terms. Um, and that goes especially for adults that get too excited or overstimulated. Um, and you want to be sure that your guests or other people that y'all are in contact with know these rules um, and know to ignore them until they think they can calm down. And that means their brain can engage and they can think again. The fourth one is to be calm and assertive no matter what happens. Be calm, confident, and assertive. Just cope and manage the situation. So if they're acting out with bad behavior, don't yell, don't call their name. That's a mistake. And don't chase them. <laughs> so what you want to do is use your correcting voice and your body language to distract or redirect them until you can better control them. And then simply remove them from the area until they've calmed down if they can't calm down in the area. You know, and then you can have your chat. And that leads me to suggestion number five, and that's the chat. Uh, tell them what you want them to do. They need a job. They need to know what's expected of them. They need to know how you want them to behave. So tell them. Um, there are three simple steps to communicating in my intro course, and there's a lot more about how to do that exactly in the beginning course. So um, that will get you started, I think, I hope. You, ha you may have more to add to yeah. that. Yeah, I think that is a great start. Good, good. Yeah. Okay. So tell us, Val, how can we find out what's important to our animals so we can make a plan to do something about that on their behalf from a place of uh, calm, assertive, and confident energy? Well, Brenda, you know that knowledge is power, right? So once we know, once we understand, right. well, yeah, once we understand what their viewpoint is, we can make a plan to do something to help them, to take action on their behalf from a place of calm, assertive, and confident energy. So what you want to do is put yourself in their shoes, or actually in their paws. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, put yourself in their paws, in their bodysuit, and imagine the experience from their viewpoint. And what do you notice? What concerns would you have if you were them? Remember the cats? Uh, my cats, when we started, I told you about my cats and, you know, how upset they were getting. And what happened when I connected and told them the story is they told me that when we simply disappeared and didn't come home on time and there were strangers coming in and they couldn't get outside and they did not know when we were coming back, if we were ever coming back, you know, or if we had died or who knows, um, that they panicked. They didn't know what to expect. And so, you know, once we understood that, then I could say, oh, well, here's what we can do. You know, here's the neighbor that you've met before is going to come feed you. She'll be here in the morning and the evening. If you need anything, tell her, um, you know, and we'll be back at 5 o'clock on Sunday, and we're looking forward to seeing you. We love you, not to worry. Um, and here's we're going to go see my parents or, you know, whatever it was. Um, and we love you, and we're keeping you inside safe so that, um, you know, you can just chill out and sleep and, and take it easy, and we don't have to worry about you getting hit by a car, chased by a dog, or getting hurt, right? So once I had the right. conversation, all that opened up for me. Once I connected in and I went, oh, my God, of course. No wonder y'all were so panicked. And now I can do something about that on their behalf from a place of calm, assertive, confident energy. It seems like a simple exercise, um, but it will teach you and help you learn and be aware of a great deal that you may not have known or considered before. Um, in my beginning home study course, I take my students through an extremely powerful meditation where they get to experience actually becoming their animal. No one goes through that meditation without achieving a much greater awareness of how it feels to be an animal. And by the way, that is the most direct method of animal education that there is. Well, I think you nailed it, uh, Val, when you mentioned about them not getting the memo. I think you have so many good points about that. Yeah, thanks. Can you give us some, yes, welcome. Can you give us some tips on how to own and be responsible for our own stress levels? Because, of course, we know that our animals reflect us. 
So what can we do to minimize our own negative effect on them? Right. That is such a critical topic. This is what I call the human-animal-body-mind connection. And we talk a lot about that in my beginning workshop uh, course and my mentoring program. Um, in fact, that's a, such an important topic that I even taught a class on the subject that I called Barometers of Our Souls, Exploring the Mysteries of the Human-Animal-Body-Mind Connection. So what we learned and what we know is, is that our animals reflect us. So what, we, what, so what can we do to minimize the negative effect that our stress has on them? First, we want to be consciously aware of our own stress. Uh, in, in, you know, if it's about a trip or any, or any situation in our life, it couldn't have to be about a holiday or something. Um, so what are you most concerned or worried about? How do you actually feel about that trip? And you have to be honest. You have to tell the truth. Your animals know when you're not being truthful or congruent or honest, and honestly, it confuses them. So be willing to own your own feelings, thoughts, and emotions and find a way to make peace with whatever is happening, to be calm and confident about it, and know in your heart of hearts that everything is exactly as it should be and all is well. Did you know that the chemical components for the emotions of excitement are exactly the same as they are for anxiety? Isn't that wild? So you're... Yeah. Your animal reads excitement as stress, and it can create anxiety in them. So be really sure that you're clear and peaceful about your intentions and what you want to have happen. And if you're feeling excited, share that excitement, but be sure that you're sharing it in a calm, calm, happy way, not in a nervous, worried way. <laughs> so when you find the feelings of balance and joy within you, then that's the message that you'll share with them. So. Take a moment to be more aware of and to change your attitude if necessary, and then make a conscious decision to be calm and decide to be less stressed, which helps your animals know that you're still in charge, you're doing fine, and that whatever's going on is all right. And, you know, when we do that, if something kind of magical happens, our subconscious mind also gets the message, and it helps us align with that in our own self. So that's pretty cool, too. Wow, what a great point. So how can animal communication help prepare our animals for traveling? Well, how... My favorite topic. Yeah, we're getting close to your topic. Uh, so we'll consider this. How would your animal know about your trip unless you told them? Huh. So imagine for a minute, everybody take a moment, put your pencils down or whatever you're writing with, and just imagine that you are living with a really wonderful, maybe rather quirky family of an alien species who doesn't speak your language very well. And all of a sudden, one day, everything changes. They disappear. Someone new or a stranger is now coming into their house or your house. It, or, or maybe even worse, now you're in a strange place with strange people and other animals, maybe stuck in a small kennel, right, or a cage situation. You know, if, if you if that if that animal has ever been in a shelter before, you would probably think your family has abandoned you, right? Or you may yeah. just go into a really serious depression about it. Animal communication helps prepare your animals for any kind of trip, for vacations, for holidays, for moving, anything that changes their routine and home life. And discussing the situations with them allows them to participate in the process. Um, you know, so talking with them helps in so many ways. It can even reduce or prevent serious problems like separation anxiety, which, you know, no, none of us want our animals to experience. So, yeah, it's important. So, Brenda, I know that you know a lot about traveling with pets, and you know a lot more than I do, which is wonderful. I'm, I'm still looking forward to learning what you're going to teach us. Um, and you're here to give us some really practical tips and suggestions on traveling with animals safely and successfully. I know for myself, I would much prefer to take my animals with me if I could. And if I could manage that so we're all safe and happy on the trip, that would be fabulous. But traveling with animals can be a, be a real trip in itself. So what can you tell us? Can you tell us more about what we should consider when deciding whether or not to take our pets with us? Yes, thank you, Val. You're right. It can be a real trip <laughs> in every sense of the word. Every sense of the word. And every time... 
Every sense, yeah. And every time we're planning a trip, which is quite often, because I love to travel for work and for pleasure, and we have a list of rules that we go through to help us decide whether to bring pets along on that particular journey. Because what we have found is that by having a set of rules, we can feel less guilty about leaving them behind sometimes. And we feel good about having brought them along, even if something unexpected happens that might put a hiccup in our plans. So either way, our pets are a part of our family, and so we make the best decision based on the information available at the time. So we have a list of, of some key rules that we consider when deciding. And each of these rules are listed in the special report that's available free from our website at pausefortravel.com. That's P-A-W-S-F-O-R-T-R-A-V-E-L.com. And like I said, it's free there. Um, So if you haven't already got it, I'd suggest you go in and grab that. So for tonight, I would like to tell you about all of them. We really only have time to discuss the one rule, so I'd like to discuss rule number seven. Now, this is really important because we often we don't really like to see things they are. We, we like to look at our little family through rose-colored glasses, and sometimes we have to take our glasses off. So this is really important, so write this down, okay? Rule number seven, if my pet is behaving well, they can come. If they're misbehaving, they need things shaken up a bit. So now, we use this rule whether we're just driving to the store or traveling away for a week. So for example, let me tell you about a story about our dogs. So one time, we were, we were just actually, there's been more than one time, actually, if I'm honest. <laughs> we'll get in the car and we'll I'm glad they know that because that was yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a constant process that happens over years of their life and our lives. And especially, I'm sure, because their behavior reflects our behavior. So if we're stressed because we have things go, then, you know, maybe they behave differently. But they still need to know that the expectations are there in terms of their behavior. So we've actually gotten in the car, and the weather's good, appropriate for bringing the dog along or the dogs. And so we load up the dog. And we're just pulling out of the driveway, and some other dog walks by. Now, our dogs are not allowed to bark at other dogs from the car. We don't need them yelling at dogs. We can see there's something there. And if the dog barks at the car, then or at the dog, then we will literally pull right back in the driveway and very quietly, with clear intention in our mind as to what the problem is, and we say to the dog, You are not allowed to do that. That is not acceptable behavior. But we don't get mad or upset. We just explain the situation and grab the dog and somewhat roughly, more roughly than usual, to show our displeasure, march that dog right back into the house and then leave. So the dog is left at home. Now, sometimes this behavior can happen for days in a row. And if there's a trip coming up, where we're not required to bring the dog along for our own purposes, sometimes we will actually take the dog to a kennel. And we'll let the dog know that the reason they're being left at home and they're not coming on this trip where they would have had a lot of fun is because they haven't been behaving. It's time for them to go to boot camp. Now, not all kennels you know, our real boot camps, there are places where you can leave your dog and they can go through some extra training, and that's sometimes beneficial depending on what's going on. And I know that a lot of kennels these days are marketing themselves as doggy spas, but the truth of the matter is that our dog would always want to be with us rather than be left at home at the spa for a week or longer. However, when that dog is misbehaving on a regular basis, and usually that's a sign that they're using, looking for leadership from us. But sometimes, especially if they're older and they've been through the training, they should already know what's expected of them. And we do, you know, tell them what's expected of them and remind them, um, but sometimes they need a little shake-up. I mean, okay. a little shake-up sometimes, I think. Mm-hmm. And you know it hurts me too because I miss them. And yet, wow, do they ever behave much better afterwards? So 
if that happens, which doesn't happen as much now as it did in the early days for us, but if that does happen, we always let them know why they're going to the kennel. So just like you're saying, Val, it's important to talk to your pets about what's going on and why. They do get the message. Yeah, and without that, how would they know, right? Well, yeah, exactly. How would they know what they did wrong? And so there would be no opportunity to correct. Good. Right. And there's no point in getting too upset as long as you figure out a way to get that communication through to them, as you've said. And sometimes I've actually found, and now my dogs are all, I've had all big dogs. I've had Rottweilers and uh, German Shepherd that we looked for for a while and that we trained for the owner. And so these are dogs that have an opinion of their own, and they don't necessarily want to, you know, align with my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, But they find out that just through intention, clear intention and communication and missing out on things, and that's the key is that the dog missed out on things. But there has to be an agreement there that they get privilege and they get excitement when they follow expectations um, that they're, they're given. And so then we end up with a dog that we can have in the car and not bark at every little dog that walks by on the street. And that doesn't bark at every little movement when they're sitting in the car. Mm-hmm. It's a much more pleasant way to live. And that applies whether we're at home or, you know, anywhere where we are. Right. It's just life. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. So what if you're staying in a hotel? Can you give us some tips for questions to ask hotels and motels to be sure the trip will go as planned? Staying in motels and hotels is um, it's interesting. It's a little more different than just uh, traveling somewhere that, you know, you may be uh, just getting that message across that they, they have to behave if they're going to be able to travel with us. And with all the pet-friendly guides that have come out in the, in the last number of years, I was surprised to find out the way that some hotels and motels deal with the pet issue. Well, in this special report, there's, there's four questions that are listed, and we'll, we'll address what we can here um, in the time allowed. But there's one time that really blew me away uh, because I've, we've stayed in, in hotels and motels and condos that we've rented in, in different cities uh, in North America. But this one time that really, really just absolutely blew me away, and I, I think this is the most important question to remember. So now if you're a moker, uh, then it, might, it wouldn't matter to you in particular, but this is important if you're a non-smoker and if you don't like the smell of smoke, so this is the thing that happens, <laughs> is that we were checking, we checked into this hotel, and they actually put the pet rooms in with the smoking rooms. Oh. So we went, it was quite disgusting, actually. As a non-smoker, as someone who's very sensitive to air quality, we checked in, and everything was fine, and they didn't, they weren't discriminating against breeds, which was awesome, because, you know, our dog is very well behaved, and it was, again, just a dog situation. Uh, and all our stuff, and we had the dog bed, because I'm really glad that you mentioned the scent issue, Val, because scent is, that is one thing that we've discovered is so important with traveling as well, and I'll come back to that in a few minutes. So we went to the elevator, and right away on the floor that we got off, we could tell the smell of smoke, and then, and even our dog doesn't like the smell of smoke. I mean, their sense of smell is so strong compared to ours. Oh, yeah. And as human beings, we really underrate our nose as compared to the rest of our senses. But when we went into the room, I mean, it was just unbelievably strong. And so all we did in this case is we just turned around, and luckily this hotel was not really booked. So we went right back to the front desk, and we were very polite. You know, we explained the situation, and at first – they were not going to, to accommodate us. They were not going to give us. They, they tried to say that the pet rooms had to be smoking rooms, huh. and they tried to say that it had something to do with people with allergies or I don't know, and we just wouldn't accept that as an answer. Uh, but we were polite, and, you know, our dog was well-behaved, and we just calmly asked for different rooms after some discussion point. They were able to um, find another room, but... I just thought after that, what if it was a busy time? Mm-hmm. 
And what if they didn't have an extra room? Right. You know, when you're in a hotel and you're in that room the whole time, yeah. uh, and then getting stressed out for ourselves, and then that makes it more stressed for our dog. Right. And they're breathing. So, yeah. And, yeah, and they're breathing it too. Uh, so in this case, so then after that, every time we would book a hotel room, uh, I would always ask, um, were if we could get a pet-friendly room that was a non-smoking room. Mm-hmm. Oh, that looks so much So fun. on the, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the other aspect is, and, and this really applies to any time you're staying in a, a foreign place, like not in your own, whether it be a motorhome or, or your cabin or, or something that has a lot of your own stuff, mm-hmm. Like any time we would go and stay at friend's house or a family's house or a hotel or motel, we would always make sure to bring more than enough pieces of uh, either blankets or bedding for all of the animals to have a place to sleep. And we would make sure that it had their scent on it from home. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't wash the bedding just before we traveled. Right we would make sure it was washed, like it needed to be clean, but not immediately before, like maybe cleaned a couple weeks before, because they take so many of their cues from the scent that's around them. And cats, I was amazed to to learn that cats have twice the sense of smell of any dog. So they, I mean, they can smell the can of fish in the back of the cupboard, uh, that's been there for a long time and it's amazing <laughs> the sense of smell. Uh-huh. Wow. And so there have been times when we've traveled to a, you know, a, a place that's totally different with the cats and the dogs and just by putting out some of our blankets or their special beds that we bring, mm-hmm. um, they knew that that was home. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another factor with being in a hotel and a motel because you know, there's no way of knowing how many people or pets have been in that room before. Right. Right. Or how clean it what clean it is or not clean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there is a way. You know, when we let the animals in there, whether it be dogs or cats, they usually show you spots oh, yeah. the spot. <laughs> they know exactly where everything is. <laughs> yeah, they could they that, could give you I, a, a catalog, you know, of every every person or animal that's ever been in that room, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. And always have a, a hoot during that period, actually. We usually just stand there at the door uh-huh. and watch them. You know, the cats run around and, uh-huh. and are sniffing everything and uh-huh. jumping up on whatever the highest thing is in the room and yeah. and uh, looking out the window and the dog is sniffing on everything. And, you know, the main thing is to make sure nobody decides that they need to mark anything, right. which has not happened for a great number of years ever since. Well, one time it happened years and years ago. Uh-huh. And at that time, we had enzyme with us, mm-hmm. and uh, and they they found out in no uncertain terms that that was not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the scent thing is having, and as people, you know, we we're used to doing our laundry, do we travel, mm-hmm. um, especially if we're going to a hotel or a motel. Right, we want to take. However, stuff. for our pets. Yeah. 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 However, for our pets. We really want to bring a little bit of home, of comfort with them, right? Yeah. So that they know that this is now their home. Right. Yeah, I know when I go to, uh, when Einstein, my dog goes off to, you know, have a have a sleepover, um, I always give him a T-shirt or something that I've been wearing for at least a week. <laughs> so. Yes. Uh, it's very helpful. Yes. Yeah. I've done that before as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, all right. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, anything else about the hotels and motels? I think I think that's all the time we have for that question. Okay. You bet. Let's move on then, because I, I there's a lot more I want to know. Um, you know, ideally we would always bring this with us. I know I would definitely. Um, what questions would you recommend that we ask ourselves to really know when is it better to find them a reliable place to stay? Versus when is it okay for us to bring them with us? Yes, well, that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, so we put together uh, our top ten questions um, in honor of David Letterman, uh, the top <laughs> ten questions <Okay. laughs> to ask ourselves. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, and it's really important to 
remember that any time that we're traveling with others, whether they're people or pets, you know, there's a possibility that uh, something might, you know, not go as planned, right? There always is that possibility. Yeah. And well, that's not again, just really is. I'm sorry. It's not just a possibility. I think we should count on that, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we plan and, and we're optimistic that everything's going to work out, mm-hmm. but sometimes it doesn't. It, things don't go as planned. Yeah. And again, you know, it's really about the thing about traveling with pets is really just to not consider it travel, consider it life, right? Yeah. And that's if good. we provide them, yeah, as long as we provide them with the things that they need to know that they're in the place they're supposed to be, then then everywhere is home. So oh, I love that. whether that's we're great. actually yeah. So whether we're traveling or not, something might go wrong. And so this is really important, right, to really get this part. So so you may want to write down. So this is the question. Am I willing to accept that things might not go perfect and that adjustments might have to be made and that this will not ruin my trip but just make the stories better? I love that attitude. Yeah, that is really the the key question that we have to honestly answer. So if I'm going to a weekend concert where I'm just dying to see, like, all these bands or all the, like, maybe all-day seminars for three days in a row from, you know, 7 in the morning until 11 o'clock at night, then then that's not when I want to bring the pet because if something happens, then I'm going to miss out on a big chunk of what I'm there for, Right. right? But if I'm traveling to go and explore a faraway, you know, city or, or country where I'm exploring and I'm, and I'm and checking out new areas and hiking new beaches and, and relaxing and, and enjoying life, then whatever happens is just part of the traveling. And that, that doesn't ruin the trip. Because whether we're at home or away, you know, accidents happen. People get sick, animals get sick, right? And anything that happens when you're not traveling could happen when you are. Things just happen. So, for example, let me tell you a story about when our dog puppy, we had to sit with her when she was on IV fluids, and we gave up everything to sit with her for 24 hours, and all because she ate a stuffed animal. And, yeah, and after that 24 hours, if she hadn't, if, we, if it hadn't become evident what was going on, then she would have had to have emergency surgery. Yeah. Well, it became evident the next day when she fed a stuffed animal, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she started feeling better. Oh, God. Okay. But if, yeah. yeah, but if we were away when that happened, yeah. then we would have to be prepared to deal with it the same way. Yeah. Right, the same way. Right. We would have had to put whatever our plans were aside and deal with the situation. In another case, we were actually traveling. We were on the road, and we were out in the uh, out in the country, way far away from civilization, when one of our cats got stung by something on her face. I don't know what stung her. I didn't see what happened. She just came to me and showed me that the whole side of her face was swelled up huge. Yeah, and this cat was normally, she was a bit of a hider type. Um, So it was very clear, like she usually liked to kind of be on her own. She was the the low end of the totem pole, and so the other cats always get get privileged first. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but she deliberately came and showed me that her face was swelled up. And we weren't close to anything. So we just kept an eye on it, and it was funny because I actually said to Robert that, you know, you could, we could tell that it was quite full of pus, and I swear she understood exactly what I said because I said, you know, we really should lance it, but I don't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. And so two minutes later, she came back, and she had lanced it herself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she she did. Yeah. And then she kind of showed it to me again. Uh-huh. And then, oh, you know, we just very calmly and ca- uh, carefully cleaned it and, you know, 
um, did the first aid treatment that we knew how to do, and we had all the equipment for that mm -hmm. for ourselves and our pets again, and yeah. we bandaged her up. Yeah. And she went and laid under the table with the dog where she felt comfortable, <laughs> mm -hmm. and everybody was fine. Oh, wow. So, you know, again, these things that happen, they happen whether we're on the road or whether we're at home. Right. Now, one of the things about cats and traveling, because a lot – I don't know, I don't meet a lot of people that take their cats on trips. And so what I always found helpful is that I always have harnesses for my cats. Okay. Uh, because some of the, yeah, some of the things you were saying before, Val, I find uh, are especially true with cats, and that is that they really pick up on our emotions. Mm -hmm. And when, when I have a harness and I can see that the cat is getting upset about whatever the situation is, it gives me a handle, and then I can help the cat calm down by just feeling calm self. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, that's good. So just add that in as far as um, when things aren't quite going according to plan. So kind of the most important part about this point that I'm trying to make is that it, well, how you feel about your trip, well, it's subjective. So... So it's really important to, to realize, to, to take this into a question and ask yourself and answer truthfully and hold yourself to the answer. And that is, it's going to be a great trip and I will accept whatever happens. Because we do our best to prevent the negative things from happening. And then we accept the rest. More often than not, it will be great things that happen. We share the discovery of the new places and exciting activities because we can bring our pets with us. It's absolutely fantastic. We bring their unconditional love and we bring their perfect acceptance, and it, it helps us enjoy ourselves even more. I can't tell you how exciting it is to explore places and have my dogs at my side and knowing that wherever my home is in that place, that my my cats are waiting there for me too. And so that's that's really what it's all about when you're traveling with your pets. Mm -hmm. Those are great. Wow. Are there is there anything else you need to to share with us about that? Is that all the ten questions? Yeah. There that was a key question. Okay. Um you know the other the other questions uh, are really about, you know, that self-assessment, about really understanding you know, where we are in terms of the, the training or the, our ability to communicate with our pets. Uh, you know, are we, are we going to integrate them into our lives while we're traveling as much as we do when we're at home? Okay. And are we going to put, make sure that we have contingency plans so if something doesn't quite work out the way we'd hoped, are we going to be able to, you know, find alternatives that, you know, maybe can bridge the gap between our ideal and, you know, the worst case of missing out on everything? And with our cats, you know, we'll, we'll, we, we don't usually, and we were usually out working when we're at home, so how much time do we really spend with them? Yeah. So don't feel guilty that if you're in a hotel and the cat's, and you're not seeing the cat all day, I mean, as long as they have their comfort that they know they're supposed to be there, mm -hmm. then you know, if you're spending about the same amount of time with them as you do when you're when you're not traveling, then that's what they expect, right? Right. They can deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I love that. Thank you so, so much. Go yeah. Ahead. I think that's 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 about as much time as I have for today. Okay. And so we really want to thank everybody for coming and we hope you learned a lot today. And we really hope you practice what we've shared with your animal friends. That's great. Thank you so much, Val, for sharing your information. I, yeah, thank you. I, I think it's amazing. Great. Thank you so you much. Offer. Thank you. And I love what you're doing, and people need to know this stuff. So thank you so much for your caring, your compassion, and sharing your own story, which I think is so remarkable. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, then let's, okay. let's call it quits then, and uh, we'll look forward to talking later. Okay, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
thanks for listening to the show. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, go to valhart.com forward slash blog. And if you're someone who values a non-invasive, holistic solution to resolving problems with your dogs, cats, and horses, and you want better-behaved, healthier, and happier animals, just go to my website at valhart.com to apply for a complimentary Happy Animal Assessment Session. And be sure and remember to look for my CDs on iTunes. Learning how to talk with animals is fun and will change your life. So while you're there at my site, get my free Quick Start Animal Talk course and check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system. May the love of animals bless you, teach you, inspire you, heal you, and reconnect you to the circle of life. Mm-hmm.